You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Rocks and Paper, recorded on June 19, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, if you're a first-time guest to Harvest uh, this week, I want to thank you. If you're a first-time guest who says, uh, boy, all churches ever talk about is money, um, I want to let you know that this sermon will only confirm those thoughts. Because <laughs> that's the day you happen to walk in. Welcome anyway. I guess you'll have to come back next week to find out if that's really true. But for this week, um, we exist at Harvest to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Over these two years, we want to dig down and focus on four areas that are practical for a healthy church. Prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and stewardship. We are talking about stewardship today, and stewardship involves, ready, maximizing God's investment on you. God wants a return on his investment in you, right? In, and in these categories of what he's given you, your body, your time, and your possessions. Today, we're going to talk about your possessions, especially your money. Jesus famously said, famously because it's quoted a lot in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's an impossibility, says Jesus, to serve both God and money. So that may make you think, well, then we're, we need a quick take of our poverty so we don't have any of this filthy lucre touching us because we want to serve God. Unfortunately, the reality that the Bible acknowledges is you must interact with money while you're here. So, you, right, you, you have to, the Bible tells you you'd better go get a job if you can and get some money so you can eat and have money to give to other people. The, the the Bible teaches us that money advances the work of the kingdom. Money can be used to do good. And I guarantee you, just not going to get by on this earth without interacting with wealth. You can't do it. In It's a Wonderful Life, a movie that all Americans should have seen by now. If you haven't, you have till Christmas of this year to get it done. <laughs> One point, the angel, so George says... George is talking about his money difficulties with the angel, and the angel says, oh, we don't even use that up in heaven. He goes, well, it sure comes in handy down here, bub. And that's our, the crux of the problem, isn't it? Can't serve God in money, but you've got to interact with money. Now, the Bible says a lot about money, way more than will ever come into one sermon. Buy a book. There's all kinds of books on it. But today, I want to focus on one question because it pertains to to stewardship. One simple question I'm going to ask and then I'm going to answer. Ready? This is the question. How can we interact with money and not serve it? Or how can we be good stewards of our money to bring a return on God's investment? This is not an exhaustive answer, but it's as much as I can fit into one sermon. Before I answer it, though, I want to let us all know, remind us all, that this is not an issue of dollars and cents. It's an issue of the heart. Every human being has coveting in his heart. And coveting is where greed comes from. Coveting is where fear that I don't have enough comes from. 
Coveting is what says it's not fair because you have more comes from. And there's not a human heart that doesn't wrestle with that. Not a one of us. You know, um, Pink Floyd seemed to say that money is the root of all evil in their song Money. By the way, that song has a lot of good uh, truth in it, actually. But they said money is the root of all evil, but if you look around, no one's giving it away. Well, actually, they were misquoting Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, where it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. You see, the problem isn't the money, it's the human heart. The evil in this world's number one source is the human being. It's you. It's your contribution to earth. (laughs) We bring the wickedness ourselves. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, any wealth on the earth is a gift from God. It's loving the gift and not the giver that is the heart issue. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Satan obviously uses love of money to pull people from church. Each heart covets. Jesus said, don't serve God and money. Serve God, not money. But we must use money in the world. Back to our question. How can we interact with money and not serve it? That's the question. So here's the answer. I'm going to give the answer in one, two, three, four, five ways. Three positive practices, do's. One negative practice, don't. And then one, let's call it article of trust or faith. You need to believe and act on this one belief. So positive practice number one of three. Worship by giving to God through his church. And here you go, I knew that was coming. Well, good, I don't want to disappoint you. (laughs) Worshiping by giving your stuff to God is the established pattern of God for mankind at all times. It's not a new idea. It's as old as mankind, right? Worshiping by giving your stuff. It costs to worship. Where did it start? Adam and Eve. How do we know? Their first children, Cain and Abel, their first fight was over what they were giving to God. One worked with animals. He gave the firstborn. The other worked with plants. or That makes him a farmer. And he gave, obviously, the first of his increase. But he didn't give in faith. The other did. And, uh, and then coveting came into his heart, and he just... You know, you know the story, right? Cain killed Abel because God liked his offering. But notice what they were fighting about. The worship offering. Giving to God is the established pattern for God for man at all times. It's not a new idea. But how do you give to God? Well, we did have Cain and Abel's example. Right from the start, they took the first of what their increase was and they found a way to give it to God. You have... Uh, These smatterings in the Old Testament, visions of this, Noah, when he got on the ark, he took how many of each animal? Two is what you say, but you're not reading carefully enough. He took two of each, but he took seven of each clean animal. Because even though the law of Moses had not yet mandated anything as clean or unclean, God had communicated to Noah, you're going to sacrifice animals to me, and they can only be certain ones. Right? So he brought seven of all the clean animals so that he could sacrifice the very first thing he did when he got off the ark was sacrifice to God. We have Abraham and Jacob who um, obviously came before the law. Moses wouldn't be born for 400 years. And at two opportunities in the text, we see them stopping when they have a great wealth and giving 10% 
One to a priest and one just says he's going to give it to God. We don't exactly know how he does that. But he does it. Then when the Joshua went into the land, the very first city, the whole city was given as worship offering to God. Jericho, don't touch it. That's mine. You get the rest. I'll give you Jericho. You give it right back to me. And isn't that really what giving to God is? You take from his hand, you put back in his hand because it all comes from him. Then when the law was enforced in Israel under Moses, there was all kinds of giving codified or written into the law. And that, a lot of tithes, that's where that word tithe comes from, 10%, were put in there, given at certain times. Some of them, they were instructed, you're going to take a tenth of what you have, you're going to buy whatever pleases you, you're going to gather all the people together, and you're going to have a party. Well, that's a pretty good way to sacrifice to God, isn't it? And that was in the law. But there were other tithes, you're just going to bring this certain amount, and you're going to drop it off at the temple, you're going to give it to the priests, and they're going to use it, and, and that's worship. And that was law. They had to do it. By the time Israel's been around a while, before they're about to get taken off the land for their disobedience, one of the areas where God got upset with them was they wouldn't tithe because they agreed in their hearts. Under Malachi, he says, why do you rob me? And the people said, how do we steal from you, God? We can't break into your house. He says, in tithes and offerings. When we get to the New Testament... The practice of how to worship God with your money from day one of the church was to bring your offering to the church. They laid it, it says, at the very first church at the apostles' feet. And they distributed it according to whoever had need and used it to advance the ministry of the kingdom. This pattern has continued unbroken until today. So today... With this precedent, we still should worship first by bringing your first fruits into the church of God. In the New Testament, Paul gave us some principles for regular generosity. Look what he says. The point is this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's a principle he's given. If you plant a little, you get a little. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I want you to know he's not a TV preacher, and I'm not either. I'm not going to tell you if you give so much money to God, you'll get more. Actually, I probably will say that if you give it cheerfully, but I don't know if you'll get it here. Jesus said things like store up treasures in heaven. He told people, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Each, but look at these, look at these rules here. So the first rule is obviously be generous. Whoever, so he's saying so bountifully. He doesn't say that for no reason. It's a purpose pitch. I'm trying to tell you guys something. He says, be generous in what you give. But then he, he always adds these caveats. Each one must give as he's decided in his own heart. Planned, thoughtful, regular giving. When I was a new Christian, I would, um, I, I was like a, too spontaneous. And I didn't know who to give to or when. I got a thing in the mail for care, which I would never give to now, because I don't think that's a good stewardship of my money. But at the time, it seemed like a good deed. I gave him 50 bucks. I made $3 an hour. It probably wasn't wise. <laughs> but then I'd go to church, and they'd pass a plate, and I'd be like, huh, half, half. But, and we're talking four bucks. You know, I didn't know. But that, you're to decide in your heart. Uh, I've learned to be a regular, think-it-through, in-advance giver. 
not reluctantly or under compulsion. It means no one in the New Testament church can force me or you to give anything. It's completely voluntary. In fact, we have Ananias and Sapphira, who a story I will not rehearse, but you can look it up in Acts. Things did not go well for them. But not because they didn't give enough, but because they lied about what they gave. But, but Peter said to him, you could have given whatever you wanted. It was yours. So it's always voluntary. And finally, God loves a cheerful giver. You don't give out of guilt or compulsion. You're like, I want to do this. Okay, so if we have to worship first by giving our first fruits to the church, if that's a principle of the Bible, and it is, then where do we start? How much? <laughs> Can we get to brass tacks, Mike? How much? Well, the practice of the elders of Harvest Community Church. In other words, I do this, and I tell all the elders who come on board, we do this, is to give the first fruit of the increase, a tithe, 10%, to the church as a starting point. Then after that, giving according to how God has blessed you or how he moves your heart. And no one checks, no one's ever checked me on that. I tell everyone they have to do it. But that's what we do. We tithe. And we, I would say that is the ancient church tradition. It's not a new idea. It's been centuries. That's how the church has handled this. It's a starting point. Someone could say, well, is that the law of the New Testament? Of course not. The New Testament says we're under grace, not under law. Then why would you do it? I'm going to give you six reasons. Ready? Now, this is going to take up the lion's share of this sermon because tithing is a big issue that a lot of people argue over, wonder about, and really need to know. So this is our time. Um, six reasons I would say you should follow your elders at Harvest Community Church in the tithe. One, reason one, it's less than giving all. And giving, it gives us a reasonable amount as a baseline for support of God's work through the church and missions. It's less than all. In other words, I'm not saying you should give everything. And you say, well, of course not. <laughs> Listen, hey. I don't know, do you guys know the master we serve, Jesus? Read what he says about money. If you were to take just Jesus' quotes in the red ink in your Bible, you won't find much about a tithe. He has a way of saying things like this. Sell everything you have. Give all of what you have away and follow me. He talks of liquidating and following him. Now, I'm not nullifying that by saying you should start with 10%. I'm saying the principle that we give all to Christ because he owns all is comes straight from the Lord's mouth. But I'm saying the pragmatics or the practical aspect means you're going to have to manage some money and the New Testament tells us all. But, but let's remember our Savior is extravagant. The widow, the widow comes up and, and everyone's giving their offering in the temple. And he says, look at that woman. She gave more than the rest. She gave all she had, a couple of coins. Now, what he should have said, had he been a proper New Testament guy, was, doesn't she read Dave Ramsey? This is not responsible. She can't give all. But no, he's like, go for it, honey. He's got a woman, Mary, 
who, who spends one full years of a working man's wage on one bottle of perfume to pour on his feet before he's arrested as an act of worship. That is costly worship. A year's wage, one shot, goodbye. And the apostles were like, this is scandalous. Jesus is like, leave her be. I accept this. In fact, boys, write that in the Bible. We, <laughs> we want everyone to know. So Jesus asks for all. Jesus celebrates when we give all. So should we all take a vow of poverty and give all? Well, yes and no. I think yes and all belongs to him, but no. In pragmatism, God, unfortunately, gives us the burden of managing that 100% a little differently. We know that because he teaches us throughout the whole New Testament, and there are other principles in the New Testament. The example of the first church, the very beginning, was extreme generosity. Extreme. They met from house to house, so some of them kept houses, but they were selling all that they had to make sure everyone was provided for and living in one place. It was kind of communal. But they thought the messianic kingdom was going to start any day. In other words, they thought Jesus was going to come, and, 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 and here we are. So we might as well share what we got till he gets here. Unfortunately for them, after Stephen was stoned, persecution came, and they realized the messianic kingdom may take a while. So they had to become pragmatic in how they dealt with uh, money and generosity. And so the apostles taught on what to do with it. But ultimately, it's a principle that runs through Scripture that we must honor God with our money by setting aside the first portion. It's not a new idea. Proverbs, which is not the law, but wisdom for every man, woman, boy, and girl, says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Look, when I write, I like writing my little check, right? Or put it, sometimes I put cash in an envelope and write the number on. I write the number on because I want the United States federal government to know I gave it to. Because <laughs> they'll give me a little break. But I would do it even if I didn't get that break. But it has to be my first check, because if it's my last check, I have a way of running out of money. Who's with me? It's the first fruits. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. From the first centuries, the church has taught 10% as a practical first portion. We see no reason to come up with a new idea. It's what we, the leaders, practice. If someone says, I want to be an elder, but I do not want to tithe, we will say, we're not saying you're not qualified. It's just not the practice of this church. So you might want to change your mind or go somewhere else and be an elder or just not be an elder. Second reason for the tithe, this is under the first positive practice, is giving of the first fruits and tithes predates the law as a practice. If it were we don't follow the law of Moses. If we did, you'd be given 31% to the church or something like that if you add up all theirs. But Adam, Eve, Abel, Job, Noah, Abraham, and Jacob all came before the law and they all sacrificed their first fruit. And often it was a tithe. So it's always been an expression of fearing God. Third, Loving our riches is just as strong temptation today as it's ever been. You're not going to say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, so I don't have to worry about loving money. I'm going to handle it all in a godly manner. <laughs> what planet are you on? 
Jesus teaches. Some, some dude runs up to Jesus and says, Hey, my brother won't share dad's inheritance with me. Tell him he's got to. Well, you know what? I feel for that guy. I've never been in this situation, but, but I've seen enough people who are. There are some times when someone dies, the people left over get greedy. You've seen it, right? Some of you have unfortunately been in it. And it's ugly, and it hurts people's feelings when you do that. You don't even care about the person who died. You're going to fight over their stuff. You're not going to share. And I'm thinking, yeah, Jesus, help this guy out. And Jesus says, who made me arbiter? I didn't come here to, to be a probate lawyer. And then he said this. These are his exact words after that. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or all forms of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He didn't settle the matter, and he told the guy, watch out for the greed in your heart. The guy's being ripped off. Even when you're being ripped off, you can be greedy. Right? You can be of the sin of greed and be the loser. And he says, don't, no, don't do that. Watch out for the love of money. It comes in a lot of sneaky forms, he says. Be on your guard. Each time I tithe first to the church, I am disciplining my flesh to ignore the greed of my old nature. Fourth, where your treasure is, your heart is, is a principle of Scripture. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You want to see someone's priorities? Look at where they spend their money. You want to see what people love? Look how they spend their money. You say look at their checkbook, but no one uses checkbooks anymore. Look at their, their online banking app. And you will know where their priorities are. Well, I remember when I was, when I was uh, 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 14, uh, 15, I, I think it was around that age, I used to, to cut grass in, in the trailer park we lived in in Florida. And um, it took no time to cut a trailer lawn. But nobody in trailers wants to do it. Uh, who would want to cut a lawn? Um, who wants to get their lawnmower out of the shed to do a 15-minute cut the grass? I did. And so I pushed mine around the neighborhood, and I charged three bucks. Two of you were hard up. You might think, well, that's not much. Look, it's 1978, baby. It's not that big a deal. Minimum wage was 260. I could knock these babies out. So I took all my dollars, and I took them, and I, I was making bank for me, and I was shoving them into this big jar I had. And I mean, I was pushing it down. I had so many dollars. I was rich. And then I got a girlfriend. I learned one of the most valuable principles of life. That sucker emptied out in weeks. I got to start charging more. Because when you're in love, you spend money on a girl. And by the way, as a free sermon to young ladies, if he asks you to go Dutch, dump him. All right? Right? If if you're paying, I hope you got a job. If he says that to you, you say, I hope you get another girlfriend. (laughs) And I mean that. Because (laughs) if a man won't spend his money on you, he doesn't love you. Because people break their bank for what they love. Well, I love my church. I invest in my church. Jesus loves the church as his bride. I love the mission of the church. 
No one makes me give to Harvest Community Church. I came here 12 years ago. The church was seven years old. I thank God for the man who planted the church, but he moved on. I came in. And I didn't have to say, well, we're going to make it a rule that I tithe and all the elders tithe. I didn't make it a rule for you, just the leaders. If they won't set the example, then that's the way it goes. I could have said, we ain't talking about that at all. But I love my church. This is very important because a lot of good um, ministries want your money. And I'm not saying they shouldn't get your money. But you should tithe your church first because that's where the Holy Spirit talks to you. That's where your brothers and sisters, moms and dads, children, your friends go to church. This is where they get fed the Word of God. One of the things that drives me a little nuts about things are like 101.5, the radio station, and I'm not knocking them. They're, they're like, every time you get in the car, they're like, buy a Bible for somewhere in another country. I think that's a good thing to do. Some of the money you give here buys Bibles for people in another country. But I never hear them say, make sure you're tithing to your church because God's doing powerful ministry there. It's like, I ain't wasting on my church. I'm buying a Bible for someone in Malawi. Well, I like guys in Malawi. Get them Bibles. But I love my church. Anyway, that was a free sermon. On the, wasn't even in my notes. Fifth reason for the tithe. And, and this is just practical. You ready for this? Because the minority of people who do tithe bless the many. Statistically, 20% of any church contributes 80% of all that they have to, to do ministry with. Two out of ten people in any church contribute eight out of ten dollars. I'd like to say, well, Harvest, we're so healthy and spiritual. We got that beat. But guess what? In Harvest Community Church, 20% of the people who are in this room right now contribute 80%. That's where you're at. A minority. And by the way, they're not made to. They do it because they want to. They've learned, by the way, people have learned to tithe. It's a maturity issue, which is why you are going to be given a sermon better than this one, preached by a, a preacher I admire very much who's now in heaven, on the way out the door in all the campuses, because he will tell you that learning how to handle your money is a yardstick that measures your maturity. And everyone who's grown in maturity to the point of tithing, I've never met a single person who isn't exciting, excited about it. Now, you know, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I've never saw a person say, then I learned to tithe, and then life went downhill. Huh. And I was like, yes, I'm free. There's liberation. There's joy in taking part of the mission. And, 10, and 20% of the people in our church cheerfully give, not under compulsion. They pay the pastors who serve you. They free up Dave and Rodney and Scott and Mike and all the other dudes to not have to go pay their rent from some other job so they have time to work with you and your kids. Two out of ten are doing that. Eight out of ten are not. Mostly, they're paying for the buildings. They're investing in mortgages and in rents. They're paying the light bill. They're paying for the office staff. They're paying for the paper we print things on. They're paying for the signs that we that flash come to harvest Friday night in Gatanning. They're paying for missionaries in another field. While the majority get the blessings but contribute little or even nothing. 
My friends, that ought not be. That ought not be. You don't think of it that way, do you? You should. The minority see this principle that Jesus taught in Luke 16, 9. Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. His point, you can use earthly wealth to increase the population of heaven. Do so in your wise. As we mature in faith, we mature in generosity. And that leads me to my final reason. Giving to the local church is the, listen, the main means by which, by the way, let me go backwards to that one. You might say, well, why don't those other 80% give regularly or give much? I think there's three reasons that I've observed. And so this is not scripture, it's me observing something. One, you have a lot of people who aren't regenerate. They're not saved. Okay, when they get saved. Two, you have a lot of people who aren't mature. They will. Give them time, they will. And, and they'll train their children too also. But three, you have people who, who are Christians who never beat the war of greed in their own hearts. And I think those ones will be in heaven. But they won't put as much treasure up there. And I'm, they, won't, they won't maximize the return on God's investment. They're the ones who really get annoyed by these sermons. What are they going to do? Hold out? I guess I don't know what to say. (laughs) Sorry. I will never guilt you into it, though, by the way. So if you feel guilty, it's between you and God, not me and you. It's always voluntary. Six, finally, giving to the local church is the main means by which all the ministry of the world is funded now and in ages past. The number one means that William Carey went to the heathen. (laughs) The main means by which the gospel came to white people cutting themselves with stone and worshiping fire on an island in what's now called Britain. The main means of us being here is people supplying the workers in their local church. Money won't save anyone, but it helps them eat when they go to bring the gospel. All the good deeds, the hospitals, the charities that bring the gospel on, its, on their wings. The main means is people going to work, going to church, worshiping God. It's just been the number one way. It far outranks all the capital campaigns and extra charitable giving throughout history. And we participate, and that is an honor. It's a gift, because everything I have comes from God. I'm just taking some of what he gave and putting it back. So, the elders of Harvest Community Church recommend and invite that you join us in the practice of tithing to the church you love and giving as God blesses beyond that tithe in various ways. And beyond that tithe is because he may bless you greatly. You know, J.C. Penney at the end of his life reversed tithe. He gave 90% and kept 10%. He had tons. Two caveats on this. One, there are those who will still say, you just want my money. Listen, I don't know what I can do to convince you. It's first about worship, and we will use the money for mission. But if you just think, I just want your money, and I'm going to misuse it, here's two solutions. One, send the money to First Baptist Church of any town. They will like that. And come here. Go ahead. Bless another church. 
receive what the people here give as a blessing to you, and I won't say a thing to you. It's your business. They will love you. You might find yourself loving there because you invested in it. Or two, go find a church with leaders you trust. I wouldn't go to a church if I didn't trust the leaders with my tithe. Uh, End caveats. Back to Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Therefore, he says after the principle, here's the practical part. Each one of you, he says, each one of you, because he writes this to the churches, must give as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let's move on. Positive practice two. Live with an actively generous spirit every day. The other 90% of my money belongs to God too. My greatest failing is I'm an American consumer. (laughs) And I I have often used too much of my money consuming. And I don't have enough to share. And that's my fault. One of the ways that, that I've found that helps is I can support people directly after my tithe. So then I write my first check to my church, and my second check, I got these little missionaries. I got a few of them. I got four of them, actually. They all get a little bit, not much. They're not getting rich off me, but I'm helping them. Or you could perhaps have a compassion child from Compassion International. Or perhaps, and this is really giving to God, I believe, is being generous in every little way you can, especially with unbelievers. Invite your unbelieving friend Instead of just hitting him with the gospel at work, say, can we have coffee after work? Go to Starbucks, pay way too much for some foofy sugar-filled frappuccino, and buy his or hers. Well, wait a minute, they can buy their own. They can, but you can too. Now they're receiving from you, and you're going to tell them about the God who gives them eternal life for free. It's better that way. I want you to know God gives life for free. Wonderful. Want to buy my coffee? You know, it doesn't work. You have to buy it for them. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality is a Jesus habit. Right? Hospitality. You're welcome in my presence. I receive you to who I am, and I will share my blessings with you to make you happy. That's hospitality. It could be into your home. It could be into your car. It's into your world. I'm receiving you into myself, and I'm taking the, I'm the one taking the burden on me to make you happy. Do you have a drink? Do you need some food? Are you comfortable? Can I get you anything? That's hospitality. That's a Jesus thing. Jesus does that on the earth for you every day. It's why you have anything. That's why he came from heaven to die for us so he could say to us, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I'd have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. I'm tidying up your place. So where I am, there you may be also. God is a giver. And then we're to be imitators of God. Simple. Look, Americans are rich, right? He said, well, I'm not rich. I got politicians tell me I'm not rich. They'll make me rich. Compared to the people whom the apostles ministered to, the the people the apostles ministered to who thought they were not poor had, by our standards, let's say they didn't have an access card, a refrigerator, or a bed. They slept on bedrolls. I mean, archaeology tells us how they slept. 
There had one, if, you, if you were upper middle class, you had three rooms on your house, not just one big room. Archaeologically, I, I was looking into how they lived back then, briefly. And you know what I found that they found in houses in the Middle East at the, at the Bible times that was missing? Not missing. They didn't have them. Closets. Just think about that for a minute. They didn't have closets. They didn't need them. Even our poor are wealthy in those standards and even by most of the world's standards. So what do I have to say to you within your money? Well, I'll say what Paul said in 1 Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, that'd be us. If you have a refrigerator, a bed, a place to sleep, and more than two sets of clothes... You're rich. Don't be, charge them not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Americans think we're safe because we got money. That money can go away. Don't put your hope on that. Put it on God, who richly provides us with every good thing. They are to do good. So I'll tell you, do good. They are to be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. I'm just saying what he said to say to you. And be generous and ready to share. You people be generous and ready to share. You're always talking about money. Just reading the book. Thus store up treasures in heaven. You want treasures in heaven? Be generous here is what he's saying. Positive practice three. And, And this one's a real application. I want you all to practice this today. Every one of you. It will be my joy if you do. Ready? Enjoy all things you use and consume with thankfulness. In the verse I just read, did you catch the part where he says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy? I know. It's the common Christian prayer. Lord, bless this food to our body so we can serve you more. Hey, I like that. That's nice. Sounds good. But it's a little bit utilitarian for me. It's a little austere. It's a little Spartan. To put it another way, it's, it's just give me calories so I can serve you. Why don't you just eat a- astronaut food? You know, why don't you take some fiber pills and some vitamins, some protein pills? If, if all you need is money, is, um, uh, is blessed to our bodies that we may serve you, you just need calories and vitamins, some water. I think I like to pray, God, thank you for steak. And taste buds, salt, garlic, and the smell that comes up through my face when I eat it. You say, well, that's so indulgent. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If you're going to have a steak, enjoy it. And have a ribeye. The king of steaks. I know some people think porterhouse. It's a toss-up, but I really think ultimately after trying both many times, the ribeye wins the battle. If you like yours, well, have fish because you don't really love meat. And you say, well, I can't without feeling guilty. Listen carefully. I do know what the Bible says about that. Then don't have steak. Don't eat anything that you feel guilty for enjoying. Because if, if you feel guilty, it's not a faith. And if it's not a faith, it's sin. But if you're going to have the ice cream, I don't know if I should. Shut up. Either eat it or don't eat it. But if you're going to eat it, 
Give thanks to the God who made sugar and chocolate and strawberries and fudge and tongues. Everything is a gift from God who loves you. Not just, not just church. Everything you like comes from Him. You didn't make it. He did. 1 Timothy 4.4 4, Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So, one of the ways to keep greed out of your heart is actually to be thankful for everything you consume. Your house, your car, your shoes, whatever. You say, well, I spend too much on it. Well, then you're having a guilt issue. Either start giving thanks or sell it. Get rid of it. Get rid of your guilt. (laughs) Be thankful. Okay, those are your positive practices. Let me give you a negative practice to keep so you can deal with money. This is straight from the Bible. Ready? Don't be anxious about having enough. Now, who is not plagued by this common temptation? If you tell me you've never been plagued by that, you're not plagued by that, and you don't think you ever will be, I don't believe you know anything. Because all of us feel this one from time to time, sometimes daily. But don't, don't you think it's interesting that Jesus, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, when he taught us to pray, actually put in a line that says, give us this day our daily bread? A constant reminder of our source. And he, if he puts in the word day, it must assume he wants us to pray the prayer how often? So we apparently need to be reminded. We quickly forget where our blessings come from. I do. I do. Bills are just so stressful. Will I have enough tomorrow? I'm telling you, there's people who manipulate you. The whole political system is is manipulating you, telling you you won't have what you think you'll have if you don't vote for me. What if you didn't care that they said that? It might change your whole worldview. Jesus is saying, don't care that they say that. He doesn't say it once or twice. He says it all over the Bible. I got, your, I got what you need covered. Well, what do you need? You need food and you need clothes, really. Safe place to sleep. That's it. I had the blessing of being from a divorced family. Now, I'm not saying divorce is good. It isn't. But when it happens, even in bad things, there are blessings. And one of the blessings is when divorce happens in middle-class families, your parents get poor. Right? That's why some guys cynically say, don't get married, just find a woman who hates you and buy her a house. (laughs) That was not exactly the case in my parents. They liked each other, even after the divorce. But one of them lived in a trailer park, and one of them didn't have as much money anymore. So I got to live middle class, I got to live trailer park class, and, I, I, and we had some lean years and some better years, and one thing, looking back at my life, I never remember having any more happiness because there was more stuff. And what God has said was, I have got you covered tomorrow. I've got you covered tomorrow. Not so you can be irresponsible, but so you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to your money. Because even your retirement, your real estate is not safe. Figure that out yet? Living with anxiety leads us to serve money, which means you can be broke and serve money and not God. Don't think it's just for the rich to serve money. Having stuff can cause you to serve money because all you do is worry about your stuff. But having nothing... 
Listen, I started this, this sermon with this text, but I want you to read what Jesus said right after this text. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's Jesus saying that principle, so it must be true. You can't serve God and money. Listen to what Jesus says right after, because this is his application. Therefore, says Jesus, the Lord of the universe, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body, and what you will put on. For life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be anxious even about your basic needs. I mean, Jesus says, I feed birds. He says, if ever you're having trouble with this one, go out and look at a bird. He is not worrying about money. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them all. You are more valuable than many birds, Jesus says. I know the environmentalist mindset of wackoism that we live in today says gorillas and alligators are more important than children, but I want to be careful here. No, I don't. There is no animal on the earth more important than someone made in the image of God, and the God who is God took on flesh, walked among us, and said, listen to me, I've been feeding those birds for millennium. Stop worrying. There's freedom in that. Birds leave it up to God. They do all right. Okay, finally, so that's the don't. Don't be anxious about what you need. And, and, and I, if you struggle with that, welcome to normal. Just keep talking to yourself some more about what the Word of God says. Be anxious for nothing, but with all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Why did, why did that have to be written in the epistles if Jesus said it? Because we need to hear this one a lot. Okay, here's the article of faith that you must practice. Article of faith isn't something you just believe, it's something you do. Here it is. Treasure Christ and his valuable gift of life on the cross. The best way and the most important way of coping with money in this world is treasuring the right thing, and that is Christ. God who did not spare his own son. He gave us all his wealth. He gave us all this wonderful earth we live in. And, and though we've fallen in sin, he gave us the solution to that by giving his own son who walked among us. And when it came time, at the proper time, offered his innocent self on a cross as a substitute in your place, freely gave you everything, the universe on that cross when Jesus died and rose from the grave. He has promised you eternal life. He gives you the Holy Spirit. Treasure Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Christians, one of the American problems we have, the way we're taught to think is, we can have Jesus and all this too. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, don't worry about all this. Don't worry about keeping all this. Don't worry about everybody staying together, being healthy, having enough, living in houses, growing in upward mobility, and I get heaven. Stop that. Just treasure Christ. If he gives you, that's your responsibility. Now you have to administer it. If he doesn't give you, doesn't matter. That's what the scripture says. The pearl of great price. Oh, he's always saying that parable. I know. And I think I'll say it till my lips can't move. Because the kingdom of God is like a man, a merchant, who sells pearls. 
He finds one particular pearl that he's enamored with. So he sells everything he has, his business, his inventory, his home, so he can buy that one pearl, and he keeps it. And that's the whole end of the story. It doesn't make any earthly sense. If you're a businessman, you sell pearls to make money. You've gotten rid of your inventory, you got rid of your house, and all you got is one big pearl. Yep, and I'm keeping it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Person's going through life, running after this, running after that, and they see Jesus. And they say, I don't need any of the rest of this stuff. That's all I need. That's the whole point. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need this. Because the bankruptcy that will come to you when you die is hell. You will have your absence of God. He will leave you alone in hell He freely offers you eternal life. Treasure Christ if you don't know Him. Treasure Him more so if you do. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.